Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Richard Scudamore's getting how much? Hello and welcome to episode 15, yes, 1-5 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we will be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. But in addition to that, there are also a few off-pitch activities that caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. Joining me tonight, I have two top guests, and if you listened to the Kicked in the Bin episode a few weeks back, you'll know them very well. First up is my midfield enforcer, Carl. Carl, it's been a couple of weeks, but how have you been, my friend? Ben, really good. Looking forward to this one, mate. So, pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks very much, mate. And also, I'm joined by Matthew. So, last time he tried to send his football items to hell. This time, he's going to talk some real football. How are you, mate? Good, thanks so much. Do I not get a, a, a role in your team if, you know, if he gets the uh, midfield general sort of role? What do I get? Um, you can get... Um, the superstar. Actually, I don't know what what role would you like. I've not really sort of casted out any other really. So the, the floor is yours. What, what would you? What would um, you like, Matthew? Um, either the big physical centre forward or the kick centre forwards in the air centre half. Pick the basically the one that likes to hurt a lot of people. Let's go for the centre forward. I like that because they're, they're a dying breed, aren't they? Those bigger, bolder yeah, centre forwards. It. Let's go for one of those. That's you, Matthew. Yeah. Thanks ever so much. Um, I'll best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter at standtracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a new game that sees betting turn on its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Especially as you can still sign up for the prize pool, which guarantees a winner £1,000. Something you will not want to miss out on. Right then, it's time to go live. And as I said at the top of the show, there's a few off-pitch stories that made the headlines in the past seven days. Actually, they ran in today. So, the first one is the news that Richard Scudamore looks set to earn a £5 million payoff when he departs from the Premier League. A golden handshake that's going to be made by each of the clubs donating 250 grand each. Now, Matthew, at a time when grassroots football is crying out for funding, this is going to leave a pretty bitter taste in the mouth, isn't it? Yeah, do you know the, the biggest um, thing that I've taken away from this is is that um, it's no longer a surprise. His, his leaving presence is, is now in public domain. It was obviously meant to be a thanks for your service, here's a cheque for £5 million we all donated. But now, but now he knows it's going to happen. That's going to be a very awkward moment when he gets into, oh, oh this was what all the fuss was about. But yeah, other than that, I, I absolutely take your point in, you know, when we talked about the whole, no, not we specifically, but everyone else talked about the whole Wembley selling, you know, this is going to leave grassroots with, you know, £600 million less and everyone was saying, oh, we should have done this because, you know, it's good for the game. So on and so forth. It is just another kicking, you know, 
kick it kicking the teeth for for grassroots when I think even if you know one club decided we're not gonna we're not gonna sign up, um, we think this money should go elsewhere. There's still two hundred fifty thousand pounds that could go some that could go somewhere else, and for it to go to Richard Scudamore or to or to really anyone in the Premier League, it's it's just a bit odd if I if I'm being if I'm being brutally honest. I can understand why they'd want to give him a sort a, a sort of cash payoff. I kind of get that because what do you give the man? the man who's been running the Premier League. You can't exactly give him a season ticket for life for every single Premier League club. You've got to come up with something. So it's just a bit odd. And it does again raise the question of if the top clubs really don't care or whoever suggests, I think it was Bruce Bach, the guy at Chelsea was the first one to suggest it. He's clearly of the mindset of right stuff, the lower league stuff, not league football. So it really does sort of hammer home this idea that the big clubs are only really looking after themselves. Yeah, it's a very fair point you make, Matthew. Uh, Carl, at the same time, has he got a right to be given this, considering that, I guess, his work, in inverted commas, is, um, is what's made these member club rich? So, I mean, it's sort of a, a thanks for all your efforts, really. Well, I think, yeah, Dan, as you say, I think it, it's a real weird one, isn't it? And something that they you probably they probably wouldn't have wanted in the public domain, because if, if it wasn't, they probably could have got away with giving him this money or at least asking for it. Um, but I think you see reports that the guy has earned from his role to about £26 million anyway. Um, so it, he's not exactly shy of money, is no, he? No, absolutely um, not. And again, you start sitting there thinking to yourself, with all the great causes that there are at the moment going on, you know, that that's face it, even if you look just outside of football, I know lots of clubs do lots for the community anyway, but if you just said to each of those clubs, you know, that... At 250 grand spread it in your community you know there are certain clubs who probably could do stuff with food bins you know and donate to that kind of thing um as we say grassroots football if you want to keep it in the game you've only got to go out and look at the state of pitches that kids are playing on on weekends and kind of feel that you know if each club was told in your area spread this 250k out and give all the local teams some money and help them with facilities and they could even have set up you know a, a thing in Scudamore's name couldn't they you know the, the Scudamore charity or something and then everyone would have come out of this looking amazing wouldn't they because it would have been well what a gesture you know that's great um the guys earned enough out of what he's been doing anyway um, so yeah, the, the whole thing just leaves a bad taste, really. If you look at it, I do know. I think at the point we are recording this, I do believe it is just a discussion at the moment, isn't it? And That's right. they it's haven't kind of agreed yet. on this. Um, but you kind of think if it's been discussed, then the powers that be want to do it. So you know, the only hope could be that now it's been in the public domain and there's been a bit of a kick up and people are, don't really see it as something that's going to go down well. Maybe it will change the way they go with this and maybe they will do something where they give that money and spread it out to grassroots football because, let's face it, that is where that money should go, really, if those clubs are going to do it. Yeah, you're yeah you've, made next, you've, you've made an excellent point there. In, is this now turns a chance? For Richard Scudamore hasn't exactly had the best... Uh, reputation or doesn't exactly come off as the best of persons when uh, during his time as Premier League chief executive or whatever his title is because he was the one that came up with the 39th game so that he's was, always had that bit... sorry to interrupt that was going to be my next yeah, question sure. so please carry on but my, I was going to ask how will history be kind to him is it um, has he accelerated the chasm of the England game as a whole or will his legacy be sort of tainted by that attempt to bring in the 39th game what do you think about that yeah, I'll touch on that, but my but my point was initially, this is a chance for him to sort of uh, resurrect, to some extent, his reputation and yeah. say, right, I'm going to decline this gift, you know, and give the, uh, you know, you mentioned it, give um, give this money that you propose, absolutely take it, but give it to local, uh, your local FAs or something like that, give it in my name sort of thing. So there is a chance for him to sort of, um, resur- for him to sort of resurrect his, his appeal. Um, to the to the question of how are we going to sort of look back at him, I honestly don't know because other than the game, other than thir- uh, game thirty nine, and bringing and you know bringing money in because that's basically what he is. He's basically the guy who's in charge of marketing and getting all the money in. I don't know what what else he's he's done. So sort of on a de- like when he wakes up in the morning, what does he do? 
what is his day-to-day job so we can only really judge him or i can only certainly judge him on on the two big things on the two big things that he's done which was game 39 which i was okay with in principle you know taking a game abroad i just didn't think um uh yeah he, he obviously wanted to again it was a money-making tool the, the idea of taking a Premier League game abroad, I was a fan of. I was, wasn't a fan of you know, be, it being an extra game. If you wanted to incorporate it into the regional 38, then I'd, then I'd be all fine with that. So in principle, I was okay with it. And in terms of generating money, you know, you, you, there's some good that comes with it and there's some bad that comes with it. Every you know, good thing, like having the world-class players coming in, like you know, we wouldn't have, without Richard Scudamore uh, talking up, uh, the money side of it to get the revenue, so on and so forth. We wouldn't have had the likes of Sergio Aguero come in, or Paul Pogba, or David Silva, or any of these guys that you care to mention. But at the same time, without that money, um, we probably would have had a more competitive Premier League, which you know many many might say is a good thing for you know, for the big six. But for the rest of the clubs, it's not really all that. So it, again, it's sort of 50-50 on either side. So I'm not going to really judge him because I don't know what exactly his complete role is. Like as I said, I can only really talk about the two big things. Yeah, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on the whole thing? I think it sort of hit the nail on the head to be honest. It's like what else does he do? I mean, what he does or what he has done, I guess he's done well because up until this last TV deal, the the rate of the increase has been phenomenal, isn't it? You know, we're looking at 300 million pounds the first TV deal and now it's up to sort of 5 billion so if that's his remit that's his job then you have to say a job well done but is it really worthy of an extra what 5 million you'd think well probably not really because that that is your job you know it's a golden handshake of sorts really but um, we'll stay with the um, the FA not quite the Premier League but Carl also today there's reports that um, the FA want to try and bring in the an increase in the ruling of the homegrown component to each 25-man squad. So it's eight at the moment. They wanted to increase it to 12. Now, seems a good idea in theory, but is this like Turkey's voting for Christmas? It would be a harder one for them to try and get through. I think there'd be a lot of pushback from the bigger sides um, who probably will feel this could hold them, hold them back slightly um, the way they progress their clubs. You know, the, the middle to lower... Um, team sides I think will probably enjoy this or would, would, wouldn't would mind that coming in because I think those clubs really do work a lot more on their homegrown players um, whether they like to someone like Man City this would work for them or of how they do things because you know that is a side that have got these great academies but you don't actually see that many players come through from there because you know they want the real deal and they want it there um i like the idea um i think obviously if you've got an interest in your national team um and your your own game in your own country then it's something you'd really enjoy because you know one of the big complaints is that we don't have enough younger players or players breaking through and that they don't play enough first class football um, and that's one of the reasons why some people will feel we don't you know England maybe haven't done better over the years because we found it too easy to bring in foreign imports into the league and Matthew would this put the English Cubs at a disadvantage against their European counterparts in competitions such as the Champions League you know the likes of Barcelona Juventus PSG they're not going to have the same restrictions are they because you're probably asking well you would be asking for half their squad to be made up of homegrown players so surely from an English club point of view that's going to be shooting themselves in the foot wouldn't it I think in the short term it's going to affect them because there's going to, there's going to be that initial period of where Manchester City you know Manchester City for instance are going to have to put um, Phil Foden in midfield rather than David Silva because they've got to you know got to tweak uh, tweak their squad and work out you know how, how to get how to get the right fix. Um, and they, you know, they might have to get Joe Hart back, for instance. It's it, it's going to hurt them in the short term because there's going to be that initial period. But over the long term, once again, it, it's something I've been I've been uh, an advocate for is eventually once you've got these young players playing the games and getting the experience, then they're going to then they're going to gradually get better by because they've been playing with with all these superstar players and against superstar players, so they're sort of upping their competition. And I think it's a good point. Is it, this is only really going to to affect the big sides you know no one's accusing the likes of Bournemouth or Burnley of splurging out on big you know big foreign names they've got their core of English slash British players that's actually a good question I've, I haven't read the finer details of this is this um, contracting people to play English players or homegrown or British or how does this specifically work 
I think as we understand homegrown footballs at the moment, so whatever that restriction is, um, which I, I must admit I don't know the exact minutiae of that, but where it, that eight at the moment is made up of eight of 25, they just want to extend yeah. it to 12 out of 25. So what yeah, we've that's, got... That's just right, but is that eight, are those eight, uh, British or are they English? Because I know there's the occasional loophole like Gail Clichy and Cesc Fabregas get through because they trained at a younger yes, age. So you can but, have that. So they don't have to, yeah. have to be British or English. It's just that academy-based element. So that academy, be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is only going to... Um, um, you know, if the money is going to stay in the Premier League, as it has been, you know, um, if the money just keeps getting bigger and bigger, then I think what you're going to get is you're going to start seeing players like how German, you know, German clubs with uh, Jaden Sancho and Reese Nelson uh, sort of said, and, and, and Andrea Luckman went to uh, Red Bull Leipzig, I think it was last year, um, looking at, right, these players are going to be underdeveloped. They're not going to be playing. We should bring them over. You're going to basically seeing a vice versa effect of kids in the Barcelona Academy, say these high, these highly skilled 11, 12-year-olds go to the Real Madrid Academies, the Dortmunds, the Bayern Munichs, whatever. And basically you're just going to see if the money's still the same, then they're going to say, right, Let's just get this young kid over here and get him, you know, get him in early. That that's really the effect I was going to see. It, no, I don't think it's really going to have that much of an effect on the results. I think there's still it's still going to be who has the most money at the end of it is going to be is going to be winning these things. So I, I can't see Arsenal or Tottenham challenging for the Champions League you know, anytime soon as a result as a result of these changes. I think that's fair enough. I mean, like I say, it's, it's going to hamper the big clubs more if it does come in. Whether they'll vote for that, I don't know. Uh, Chelsea could probably just dip into their bank of what 50 loanee players out across Europe so they probably wouldn't feel the pinch all that much but it's like anything with change isn't it it's restrictive at first but then when you actually try it um, it actually turns out alright which leads us on to our next point and it's about referees and not just referees but VAR um, if we focus on matters on the pitch it's not been a great weekend for referees has it Carl once again the mention of VAR is in the headlines and the clamour for it is only increasing after some iffy decisions now first Carl, what did you make of Charlie Austin's comments? Were they correct, firstly? And B, um, were they also quite refreshing? Because it's not the usual stage-managed cliche of, oh, we dropped two points at home and we go again next week. What did you make of what Charlie Austin said on Saturday? I, I then, yeah, I, I did find it quite refreshing because it, it was nice to see what was, as you say, an after after game um, interview where the player hasn't kind of been talked through it by his media advisor and okay say this say that that was from the heart that was passion from you know a player who's, who's felt cheated um, and I don't mean he said he felt he was cheated but you know in his way that result they felt if they'd got that goal that's game done and dusted and you know as we know they're a side who really needed that sort of that victory so he was obviously just really emotional and and down after that game um but i think you got to give credit to him as well because at no point did he say the officials had been bad or that you know they cost them or anything like that and that's why i'm hoping he won't get an fa ban because he didn't really go in on the referees or the officials he just was making the point that these guys need help um and he's a hundred percent right we saw the world cup that when vars done properly all you get from it is, is something good because you will get the right results. You will get these decisions that, you know, go against your team, maybe overturned. Um, you, know, you know, we've said it on the pods before, when you looked in the World Cup and the challenge that Sanchez makes in the Columbia game, and at first it's given a penalty, they review VAR and you see he wins the ball and that's overturned and it's not a penalty. And that kind of thing, you know, that could have swung that game, that one decision, but they reviewed it, got it right. And that's what we really need now. I mean, in the week as well, we had the Sterling incident. And that kind of just makes football look... It just makes football look stupid when you're seeing stuff like that, you know, because you've got all these officials. And you can't blame a referee because we. I think it's easy to forget they see it in seconds and they only get to see it once so if a player crosses a referee's path he might be in his view when he, the, the incident happens so he doesn't see you know what he sees looks like a trip when it isn't i don't understand what the fear is of getting an extra pair of eyes on this and getting the right decision because you know no one's being cheated 
you know, it, it works. And we really need to get with the times now. And the technology is there to do it. And I, I think once it's brought in and working properly, everyone will love it. You know, everyone said this one World Cup was one of the best World Cups they'd seen in a long while. And I think VAR was a big part of that. We know, Dan, me and you know, the game that Spurs had v Rochdale in the FA Cup made VAR look an absolute farce that night, didn't it? And yep. everyone come away going, oh, if this is what it's going to be like, forget it. But that's not what it's going to be like. That's a learning curve. And like everything, you have to try it to, to learn, you know, get rid of the mistakes that are going to happen. And when you see the World Cup, you kind of feel that's how it's done. And if it is done like that, it needs to come in. We really does. We shouldn't be having these sort of decisions and incidents happen. You know, we should be getting the right decisions on the pitch. And VAR's, you know, when VAR does come in, because it will, but I don't really see what we're we're waiting for now because there are big decisions being made and teams being costed what could be in the end vital points come the end of the season. Absolutely. I mean, if that was bad enough, less than 25 hours later, Fulham were incredibly hard done by due to an incorrect offside decision of their own. Now, that's one that created perhaps more questions due to the fact that Liverpool scored straight after. Now, Matthew, what's interesting here is that if we had VAR in place, Liverpool wouldn't have scored due to the flow of the game being disrupted. So, is that where technology becomes an issue? Or is, you know, you know, because of the sort of free-flowing nature of the game is ruined in that sense, but is that a, just, I guess, a necessary evil because we need VAR in place to make the right decisions more often than not, or all the time, should I say? Yeah, I think the Mitrovic disallowed goal and the Mo Salah goal was really... The, if ever there's going to be a sort of exhibit A of just how complicated VAR can actually be, it's that. Because, absolutely, if VAR was there, I think it would have been... Uh, because if you saw, because you saw in the World Cup, basically uh, linesmen and you know assistant referees, whatever you want to call them, were basically given the mantra of "if you're not sure, let it go, and we can always come back to VAR and let it and, and review it." So in that mind, if we were in a VAR world, I think the linesman keeps his flag down, and then it goes to a replay where I'm being brutally honest, I couldn't tell if that was onside or offside. You can you can convince me either way. So it would have you know, stuck with the initial decision because there wasn't enough to overturn it, and Mitrovic score, you know, and and the goal gets given. But on the other hand, there is absolutely you know the whole interrupting interrupting the flow the the flow of play because it did because if we were in a VAR world, then as soon as Salah's racing racing down the pitch, then the referee is going to get that little buzz in his ear. Um, you know, if if the, ref, if the linesman has his flag uh, flag up, the referee's going to get that buzz in his ear saying, hang on, we're going to check that. So VAR, it is still one of the, you know, I don't want to say the great the great invention of our time, but it has shown, as you, know, you mentioned the World Cup, I don't think there's really anything much I can say positive about VAR that Kevin hasn't already said, so I give him all credit there. I don't want to be, I don't want to be repeating points. But the VAR has shown that it is a fantastic tool to be used. It's just whether or not the clubs are willing to, you know, to take the plunge and take the hits on these sort of things. Because bear in mind, this isn't a, this isn't the Premier League saying yes or no. This was voted on by the owners towards the end of uh, owners and chairman towards the end of last year. They were the ones that said no, we don't want VAR. Um, and so it's got to be on the clubs to realise these to realise these sort of things. Rather, you know, Charlie Austin can blame the, can blame the Premier League as much as he wants. And, you know, I think that might actually, you know, you say he won't get a fine because he wasn't attacking the referees. He wasn't really attacking the league. So maybe he will get a fine in a, in a sort of roundabout way. But really, he should be, you know, attacking the owners because at the end of the day, it's their decision. And one of the points has been made is um, the so-called big club bias, you know, is going to be wiped away if VAR get brought in because, you know, you won't get the, the big clubs getting the decisions whether or not that is actually a true thing. I don't know. But that's really what the big clubs are fearful of, is now they're going to, actually, going to have to actually play by the rules. And those dodgy penalty decisions at Old Trafford that are being swayed one way or the other by the Stratford end are going to be wiped out. It's a good point you make, actually, um, in terms of actually the, the owners sort of voting against it, because they didn't want the, the uncertainty element. But surely now you sort of think those two issues in isolation, they're not the first ones that sort of happened this season. With so much money on the line why sort of take the chance to have an incorrect decision 
cause you relegation. And I know that's the sort of the nightmare scenario, but it's something that could happen, couldn't it? I mean, take Fulham, for example. You don't know that point swing at Anfield. I know there's a lot of games thereafter, but you sort of add them up and you think, oh, do you know what? If that decision went our way, then we might be in the Premier League and not the Championship. You know, just painting the sort of picture there. But we stay with you, Matthew, as a Fulham fan. And it's only right we shine a bit more light on their recent woes. So, rock bottom as we go into the international break, which I guess we're in already. Are you in the camp that Kanovic needs to be backed, as ultimately his efforts from last season should not be forgotten, especially from where they were, you know, say 12 months ago, they were, you know, low down the championship and that phenomenal rise up the table? Or is it really a case of what have you done for me lately? Um, I've been really, if I were to be brutally honest, I've, you know, I've been in the slab must go camp oh, really? for. Yeah, for for a number of weeks now, I think you know, thank you, know, thank you for what you did. You did fantastically, but I don't think this is something I sort of spotted toward you know, even in the championship, and then his first couple of weeks in the in the Premier League, I don't think he's cut out for this level. I think some of his game time uh, management and even and even some you know pre match decisions, I think just leave you scratching your head and thinking i don't think this this guy's cut out for it i think you know there's that some people have a, have their levels as it were and i think slav has honestly reaches and is slightly out of his depth because as much as you want to talk about we've had a couple of a couple of nasty injuries there is just this sense of he's we are in November, and he doesn't know his and he doesn't know his best side. I think if you're at that stage and you don't know what you are doing and you don't know the best way to attack things, then clearly something, then clearly something is wrong. Um, I think he and it's something that he's brought out in the media that he's you no know, stuck in his way. He thinks that his way is going to work, and you know maybe it it's it's it was obviously successful at championship championship level last year when we were blowing teams away. But the fact is, if it takes. No, we could have arguably we were the best team in the championship the past two seasons. But the way that Slav implemented style is it usually takes a couple of months to implement things and that can knock off, you know, three or four league places as a result because you're losing points at the start of the season and then you'll get them back on the latter end. But the problem is with this squad, if we were initially like the fifteenth best team in the league or fourteenth or something like that, if you use the same if you use the same logic and the same maths of it takes you know you're going to lose three or four league places because of the points loss and so on, then that puts us in the relegation zone. So I think there is absolutely I I can understand the argument of we looked better against Liverpool, but you know we could easily if Sessegnon takes that chance and the linesman is a little bit more in our favour, we go into and we go into half time at Anfield two 0 up, and we obviously see a, and we obviously see a change in things. But I don't want to base this all off just one good performance um, up at up at Anfield. I want to extrapolate this, you know, all that I've seen of Slavisa Kanovic, and if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think he's the man to. I honestly don't think he's the man to keep us up. I did initially think he was. I thought, no, we're not going to be, you know, mid-table. We're going to just about scrape to a you know, 15th, 16th finish. And I think Slab was the man to do that. But it's just sort of reaffirmed my views that I sort of had towards the end of last season where I didn't think he was good enough. It's just been proven right in front of me. I don't think, he, I don't think he's the man to keep us up anymore. I'll stay with you, Matthew. I've got a, a stat here that they've made 33 lineup changes, which is the most in the Premier League this season. So that's three per game since the opening day. Now, I understand that some would have to be enforced due to injuries and suspensions and the such. But when it comes to their defence, is there a greater argument that surely they need to be sort of trying to stay with the same back four most weeks to try and sort of build cohesion and that way you then build a platform, the same players have an identity that then they sort of get themselves out of trouble. This sort of chopping and changing every week is doing your club no favours, surely. Yes, absolutely, and it's one of these stats that I cling on to. It's, you know, it's one. Of, it's my trump card every single time everyone talks about it. Is when we finished seventh back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think by by um, April we'd named an unchanged side something like twenty five times. So we That's knew we had that consistency. That beautiful stuff. It's, it's, it's something along those lines. I don't know the exact number. I just remember it being mentioned on Sky when we played Man City away that we'd named an unchanged side for the twenty first time. So if you put that over the rest of the season, it's twenty five or more, whatever. But I think we do need to find a consistent. I want to. I want to honestly. 
Um, if I was that, I'd go and co- copy what Gareth Southgate did in the World Cup, and that's all three, four, two, one. You know how you look at it on a formation sheet, and get the likes of Alfie Mawson, who I think is a fine centre back. For some reason, he had his injury problems when we bought him, and we knew we had to leave some time to bed in. But I think he's been our best defender. But for some reason, he just hasn't been playing, and it can't be a fitness issue by now because you wouldn't have bought a player. Um, that was going to take until November to be fit. So it's obviously a selection, a selection issue. I go for Alfie Mawson as the central centre back. Callum Chambers, who's come in for a bit of stick, but against Liverpool, really stepped up a notch. Even if it was in that defensive midfield role, if he was sort of out of his natural position as centre back, I'd have him as a right centre back. And Maxi Lemarchand as the left centre back, who's been one of the very, one of the few signings that's actually impressed me this year. He's comfortable um, both at left back and at centre back. So I think that needs to be our back three going forward. The rest of it, you know, it, you know, can can sort itself out with Jean Michel, Sherry, Tom Kenny, Ken McDonald, and Geese. So the lot of it can sort itself out. But that needs to be a solid, continual back three going forward if we're going to have any sort of. I don't want to say success because finishing 17th isn't really success, but any sort of you know accomplishment this year, it has to be that back three going forward. Carl, I guess for Fulham, the saving grace is they've not had a nightmare start like Palace last season, you know, with like no goals, no points of seven matches. So it's not that bad. It's That in itself makes it very tight at the bottom. It's probably a little too early to be mentioning the R word, um, but their game against Southampton when we resume after the international break is, is almost a six point already, isn't it? Oh, 100%, because, you know, momentum is a great thing, isn't it? And if if Fulham can suddenly get some momentum going, then who knows what, you know, what could happen. I think it was last season um, in the championship, wasn't it? They didn't have a brilliant start um, and then they go and get... Um, a result I can't remember who it was against now they kind of said that you'd lost the game and then the players kind of got together after that and kind of said they needed to shake it up and wake up and then suddenly Fulham go on this amazing run that Batenio in the end gets them in the playoffs and gets them promoted to the Premier League because momentum it you know it can be such a key factor for teams you know you get a few good wins going and a good feeling um, at the club then it can take you it can take you places um, and the longer you keep going where you can't get results and especially if you lose to those teams around you you know when Fulham play teams like Liverpool or Man City at the moment it, it's kind of a free hit because you'd go into the season and looking at those games thinking well we probably won't get nothing there but you can't then start a fall to lose into teams like Cardiff or Southampton who are going to be around you because that will be where your fate will be sealed you know if you can beat those sides or take points off them away from home then that's what's going to keep you up um so yeah that'll be a massive game and one that you kind of feel, you know, Fulham want to change the way things are going and uh, a win there is kind of a, a must. Cole, same with you. Are you surprised that no Premier League manager has been sat yet? And could we perhaps see one if there is a loser in the game between Fulham and Southampton? I found it really, it was quite funny, wasn't it, on the weekend? Tim Sherwood kind of made the bold prediction that he didn't think a Premier League manager would be sat this season oh, and the clubs would just... Yeah, I mean, I found that really bizarre because you have to sit there and say, chairman will sit on their hands for a little while, but once you start getting towards Christmas, um, if you're down there and you've got the likes of Big Sam and that out of out of work, then those teams and chairmen suddenly start seeing the money that they could be about to lose. Um, and you kind of feel that... I think Southampton could be the first to make the move. You know, if that result doesn't go for them, then I'm not a big lover of Hughes anyway. Um, And I think maybe you'll see Southampton decide to take the plunge and change things up there. Um, But yeah, I think we'll definitely see we'll definitely see a couple go, won't we? There's no chance that Tim Tim's prediction is going to come true because I don't see a chairman being brave enough to sit on his hands and just kind of let it ride out and see what happens, to be honest. No, there's no way you could have 20 chairmen just being happy with what they've got. It's just, <laughs> just not natural, no is it? Chance. No chance. No, on no that, chance at all. On that note, Matthew, are we any closer to the Jose Mourinho era going up in smoke after uh, United's 3-1 defeat in the Manchester Derby on Sunday? Um, No, because I think they surely 
would have would have sacked him by now if you know it would something would have happened in the summer i it's again you know if, if it hadn't if it hasn't happened by now when is it going to happen if i'm being you know there's still a you know a champions league campaign that could you know if he goes long in there that, that, that could save his legacy um if they go deep into the fa cup that could save him let's not forget this is still joe this is still, still jose Mourinho. this is still you know he he brags about it but this is still the man that won three premier three premier league titles with chelsea this is still the man that won the champions league with porto and with inter milan there is still a good manager in there you know there is still the potential for him to st- suddenly flick a switch and all of a sudden problem solved he has it in him i'm not no i gladly you know we're not talking about slivies again getting sacked but you know if slav and Mourinho both got sacked tomorrow i'd gladly take jose Mourinho in my club absolutely he's not a he's not a bad manager he's just going through a bad spell at the moment you know every man every manager has them yeah that's that's fair enough i, I think that's a sensible opinion to be honest i think if the trigger was to be pulled we probably would have seen it, you know, before the last international break. I think eighth is a slight false position because if you if had a better goal difference, they'd be six and they'd just be the worst of the big six. So that's slightly sort of. You're you're also seeing glimpses, Dan, aren't you? That that I think must be Second one of the halves. frustrating things for United. Yes, they you're they've right. shown glimpses of a side this year that you suddenly sort of go, well, why can't they play like that all the time? Well, that's it, isn't because it? if they played like that you kind of think, well, they'd definitely be in the top four. And I think that's probably what's saving him at the moment, isn't there? That you, They show the odd glimpses where you think there's a real decent side there. Um, and as you said, I think they'd have done it at the early part of the season, especially the oh, way the results Ham, went. Yeah, that West Ham defence yeah, would have been the perfect one, wouldn't exactly. it? exactly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Carl, what did you take from the derby on Sunday? City, they exacted revenge for having their title-winning party ruined back in April. So... After the game, Pep Guardiola said that he wasn't particularly happy. I mean, has he got cause to be upset or is that just the perfectionist in him speaking? I think that's just the perfectionist then, to be honest. And, and right, maybe yeah, that's... Right. I, I think that's mind games as well, isn't it? With his own side, because they, they were the only team in that game, really. You know, at no point did you feel that United had enough about them to be able to get the result, you know, even at 2-1, I know some City fans probably would have seen last year's game running through their minds at that point, but City was so in control um, and United really just weren't able to put it together going forward to cause them real problems. And I don't know, you always feel City can up it when they want to, you know, you just kind of felt they got in front and then they they started just playing, you know, possession football and keeping it sensible Um, and you just always feel that City are a side that if they really need to up their game, suddenly they could put in a 10-minute burst where they tear you to shreds again. Um, So no, I felt it was comfortable for them and I think Pep's probably just giving a little bit of mind games there to keep his players on their toes and you know, if you're in his position, why not? Yeah, I mean, the way City were toying with United, I mean, you can't really sort of think, well, you know, there's no cause for complaint, really. I mean, if there was any complaint, you know, maybe the fact that it should have been two or three at half-time, I don't know. But, you know, the fact they won out of cancer, really, I mean, it's like I say, I think it's just like mind games and just sending a warning to the, the title rivals. But, Matthew, in terms of Romelu Lukaku, he uh, came off the bench, won a penalty, but again, he sort of flatters to deceive, doesn't he? He's not really done anything of note this season. Um, that transfer fee that was spent for him last summer is looking a little on the hefty side, a bit like Lukaku at the moment. He doesn't really look sort of bullish and trim, does he? So what's your take on what's happening with the Belgian at the moment? Um, again, sort of similar to what I, what I said about Jose Mourinho. I do, Romelu Lukaku isn't a bad player. No, this no, isn't, of course he's not. No, yeah, no. yeah he's, he's just going through a bad, a bad spell at the moment. And I think... The way you know it worked, it worked. At Everton was they built the team around Romelu Lukaku getting all the goals. Whereas now he's at Manchester United, they're looking for goals, you know, from other places and their style of play. So they're looking for, you know, they're trying to build the team around Paul Pogba and Anthony Martial and to an extent Marcus Rashford, who's been who's been getting game time. So I think it, he's he's not quite fitting into what the system is meant to be. Is meant to be uh, is meant to be in Old Trafford, so 
like what here's an interesting like here's an interesting thing the fact that um anthony marshall's uh on penalty duty when it's not paul popper you'd think if you want romelu lukaku to get some sort of you know form and some sort of morale you'd have him on you'd have him on penalty duty so obviously again as i say they're not building the team around him and that's sort of what he need what he needs to flourish like even even for belgium to an extent he's not the great you know it wasn't as if he was challenging harry kane for top scorer at the world cup because they were building their team around the likes of Hazard and De Bruyne and to an extent Moussa Dembele. So it's just a case of he's in the he's in the wrong he's in the wrong system at Old Trafford and they just need to find a way of getting him more suited to the system or building the system around him. Because Man United have done have, you know have done that in the past with the likes of Van Nistelrooy. Basically just put the ball into any spot in the six yard box and he'll get you a goal. They just need to try and find something similar to do with uh, with Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think really they're just not playing to his strengths. If you can build a system around a good striker, then more often than not, he's going to get you a lot of goals. So I think that's something that United have to be mindful for. But let's sort of have a whistle-stop tour around the rest of the Premier League because it was a busy weekend. Um, it's not usually company policy on this one to talk about nil-nil matches, but um, Chelsea-Everton wasn't a dull one as such. In a weird way, I found it more interesting than the derby. Had, you know, just had a little bit more attention to it, I guess. But um, Carl, it was quite a robust game, wasn't it? There's was quite a few niggly tackles in that one. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, there was surprise that there wasn't one or maybe even two red cards um, in that game. It certainly wasn't. Um, there was no love loss between the players there. Um, and you know, like as you said, Dan, it was quite an interesting game to watch. You know, you, I always, you always feel, I don't know, I always felt that at some point Chelsea were probably going to go and nick that winner near the end. Yeah, that's what you I know, you just had that feeling. That, yeah. yeah, here comes the 85th, 86th minute winner. Um, but fair play to Everton because that's a really good point for them away at Chelsea because Chelsea are flying this year. There's no doubt about it. So for them to come away there with a point, I, I think that was really good. Um, I would be interested to see if there's some of those tackles are going to be looked at afterwards because I think some of them are the kind of tackles that I would like to see retrospective action taken for, you know, because some of them, you know, there's one, I think you see, where the Chelsea defender just literally jumps in, you know, on the guy's ankle. Oh, it's Jorginho um, and Sigurdsson, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. That's right. I mean, Nasty, that one. That's a horror tackle. Um, and that is a sort of tackle that you do want to see some kind of retrospective action for, because that's the sort of tackle we want to see you know, eradicated from the game. We don't want to see tackling eradicated, but we want to see that kind of tackle where you're jumping in where the aim is to catch the bloke. And let's face it, Sigerson's lucky lucky to come away from that incident without serious injury. Well, he's not fit for Iceland. I mean, you sort of, maybe that's because it's just international duty, but he looked really nasty. I can't remember if Jorginho was booked, because if he is booked, that means there's no retrospective action that can be taken, which is wrong in a sense, because it was a really nasty tackle, that. And it sort of, yeah, it set or set the tone for the game really. I know Alonso got booked as well. There a lot of them were sort of clattering into each other. It, like I say, it made for a good spectacle. But also, Cole, I think the way that Everton got their success—I'd say a success a point—but a lot of teams when they played Chelsea, they identify Hazard as the player to stop. But they were sort of more interesting. They identified Jorginho as the man to stop because I guess if you sort of stop the fulcrum midfield, the the service, the quarterback almost, then that sort of stop Chelsea really being dangerous in that final third. So I think you could say that either Chelsea was showing signs of fatigue because of the Europa League, but at the same time, that probably does Everton a disservice because they got their game plan spot on. Yeah, definitely. Because no matter how much you try to mark someone like Hazard, if you're allowing him to have the ball, at some point in 90 minutes, he's going to manage to turn a defender or two inside out. No matter how good you try to double up or that against him, you know he'll find some magic to get there. So, as you said, they identified that stopped the service getting to him first of all, and then you know they did that really well because, as you said, they identified that kind of quarterback as we say who's springing the passes out wide to him and it was really effective and like I say I think Everton could take a lot from that point because yeah I think that's you know I'd take a point now at Stamford Bridge this season the way Chelsea are playing. Yeah I think I think everyone would really I mean I know Liverpool did and they can have too many complaints about that result so yeah Everton will be we chuffed with that and hopefully for them and they can use that as a launch pad to get closer to the, the top six um, Matthew, Alvaro Morata was doing a lot of moaning on Sunday 
Um, any cases for a penalty for him? I know he had an offside decision goal, which probably was correct, but I mean, he got did he get booked eventually? Yeah, he got booked eventually for sort of constant whinging. But I mean, it's not really what we want to see in the game, is it? Um, no, to an extent. But you know, Murata's you no. Know, in the case, you know, he's obviously not happy. And- Chelsea, or clearly doesn't seem to be happy, Chelsea, because he, he hasn't really got the number one um, centre forward position locked up at the moment. Because there's still that overhanging case of Olivier Giroud just sort of breathing down, da- breathing down his neck. So I think he's just trying to get sort of anything to go, anything to go his way, anything to go his way at the moment. So yeah, it's it's, it's not great. I saw reports, you know, that they're trying. To, uh, this is sort of more signified because I saw reports that they're now shopping for a centre forward. Um, to to either replace or to sort of compete with um, Morata, Morata and Giroud. Quite where they're going to go, for instance, I I have no idea. But yeah, I just don't think Morata's you know got that. He hasn't really settled into Chelsea's sort of overall. He, it's just not quite the Morata that we saw at Juventus and Real Madrid. So I think it's just a case of frustration for him at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the way he was acting, it was almost acts of desperation on Sunday, wasn't it? You know, like just when you try too hard almost to get a goal, you can see that like, doesn't click. But I think you're right in terms of Morata in general. I mean, me personally, I was pretty miffed that Chelsea signed him because I thought, you know what, they've got a really good striker there on the basis of what we saw for Real Madrid and Juventus. But he's nowhere near that kind of sort of player. So you think, oh, actually, you know, we've not really missed too much. But um, where Chelsea go from there, I don't know. I mean, like you say, I mean, Centre forwards of that ilk are almost a dying breed, and the ones that are available are, are a very high premium. It's not that Chelsea have got a lack of money, but then they're playing the kind of system that only will accommodate one of those strikers. And then you've got Murata, Giroud, and a and other, so it makes it a much difficult job for for I guess Sari to who to pick, and maybe it means the end of Murata sort of at Stamford Bridge. So who knows? About that one, but let's go to South London. Thing is, hang on, just oh, think, yeah. the thing is, it's going to it's going to be the same names brought up. Oh, yeah, They're not going to be. Yeah, it's it's still going to be Benzema and Cavani are basically going to be the names circulate, no circulating round the you know. And Maro Icardi is going to get is going to get the odd mention as well. Or maybe now that you know Antonio Conte is out the building, maybe they'll go back for Diego Costa again. It's they're not going to be adventurous, are they? If they do go go and try and sign another centre forward, it's going to be the same names that we've just gotten used to every single transfer window oh yeah it's like managers isn't it it's that certain crop that certain cycle where you just sort of rinse wash repeat really don't you it's just the, na- the nature of big clubs and that's what they've got because they're not going to go for some also ran are they it's just got, you know Jordan Ayew for, you know from the top of my head you're not, it's not going to happen is it they're going to go for the same kind of tried and trusted names that you just read about in the papers all the time so you know we'll have to sort of watch that space but like I say let's go to South London now and Tottenham they ground out a 1-0 win against Palace a result that if you looked at their last four meetings would have come as no real surprise as the streak of slender victories is extended to five. Now, Carl, we've spent many hours talking Spurs as of late and the latest theme seems to be, certainly on Twitter anyway, that Tottenham aren't playing all that well, you know, and it's a sort of a stick to beat the club with. But surely, if you're grinding out wins, which is really important, wins, there can't be that much reason to complain, can there? We are, yeah, as you said, Dan, we've spoke about this quite often. Um... And I think, you know, you're the same as me. At the the end of the day, when that full-time whistle goes, if we've got the three points and the one goal that's got us the win, then I I still come away happy. You can look at the performance and say, yeah, it wasn't pretty. But at the same time, it's a win. And I think this year for us, um, we've spoke about it before, you know, we were really going to be hampered this year after the World Cup, you know, with players coming, you know, the amount of players coming back late we had. Um, the season hasn't been great in terms of injuries for us, the key players. Um, so right now, you'd have to sit there and say, obviously, and again, with everything with the ground and everything like that, it was kind of like one mini crisis onto the next for Spurs in terms of the feeling around the club. No signings in January. Um, and everything, you know, each performance you kind of look at, you kind of do feel it feels a little flat. You know, certain players don't look as sharp as maybe they should be. But We are showing the resilience at the moment that you speak to any long-term Spurs fan would say to you, they're the sort of games that, you know, historically we'd go on to lose. And now we're actually turning around and getting wins out of those games. And I, for one, am just enjoying the fact that, yes, we're looking scrappy, but you, you kind of cling to that hope that if we're winning playing badly, if suddenly everything clicks into gear here, then... 
it can only get better, can't it? Surely, you know, if just players start coming back from injury and we start putting in some performances, then then everything's looking rosy. So I think we'll take it. Obviously, we do want to see the kind of levels up slightly. Um, be interesting to see what happens in January because I think Levy will have a decision to make um, around does he bring people in in January because if we're still struggling for injuries but we're in that top four, then we all kind of know that that ground has been built with the view that there's Champions League football there um, and that would kind of leave us with egg on our face to go into that stadium without it. So maybe, you know, if we're just clinging on to top four at that point, then maybe it will force force his hand to get the checkbook out and we'll then just bring in some reinforcements to improve the squad. And again, that, that could be good timing because if you get that little boost in January, then it kicks you on again. So, yeah, everything's looking quite good at the moment, really. And, you know, off, off the pitch as well, things are starting to improve from what we're seeing with the stadium. Um, so, yeah. I'm all, I'm I'm happy at the moment, if you like. We're not happy with the way we're playing because we would like to see it better. But if you can just keep getting wins, especially at tough grounds, we've been you know we've played a lot of our games away from home now. So, you know that that again could work in our favour once we start getting them home games. Yeah, I mean, obviously the ideal is to win while playing the most beautiful football possible. But at the same time, if you have to roll up your sleeves and win ugly, then so be it. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad trait to have either because it shows that. You're a team of a bit of steel. You know, Tottenham have, have won a lot of admirers as of late because they play football that's easy on the eye. But it's football that's easy on the eye that's not winning silverware and it's not winning Premier League titles. So I'm not saying we're going to win the Premier League title this season. But if you can start really grinding out sort of results where, like you say, last season we probably wouldn't have, then I think those complaints can be put to one side for at least for a few sort of weeks. So, you know, and when we get to January and the transfer window opens up, then you sort of would hope at least that there must be sort of scope to buy one or two players because I think like you say Daniel Levy's going to weigh this up and think I've built this stadium for Champions League football I can't afford after the season we've had off the pitch for this to slip through my fingers like, I've got to pull the trigger so it'd be really interesting to see what happens there but Matthew I'm also interested to know your thoughts on Juan Foyth Tottenham fans have been waxing lyrical over the Argentine as of late but I'd be keen to get the perspective of a non-Tottenham supporter what do you think is Possible for him, you know, is is the the sky the limit for the Argentine? What's your take? Um, I think he if he if the sky is the limit for him, then he then he's in the right place to do it because you know Richard Pochettino's shown in the past that he's willing to take a chance with you know with young players like Harry Winks has very slowly but surely you know I think is is at this stage good enough to be uh to be a first team at the same you know same could go for one for you know maybe let's not start talking you know talk him up right now uh thank god he's not uh he's not british because otherwise the hype train would already be on and there'd be clamoring clamors of people saying that he should have been picked in, he should have been picked in the england squad for instance so thank god for that but other than that you know you obviously know a lot more about him about him than i would you know because you know, he's from your club obviously but you know from what brief bits that i've seen from him then absolutely yeah there's there's a there's a class there's a uh, there's a class player in there it's just a case of whether or not he gets the game time to show it and you know with mature pochettino then absolutely he absolutely he will because that's what pochettino's done and carl actually matthew raised a very good point there and it's one that me and jess touched on last week um Will Wanforth get the game time that he needs? Will he get sort of itchy feet and think, do you know what, I'm getting to, you know, let's say he's 23, he's still behind Alderweireld in Vertonghen. Does that create its own issue? Because you think, right, we've got this really, really promising defender that you don't really want to loan out either, but we can't really just give him the scraps of the Carabao Cup and, you know, like the FA Cup, you know, playing Newport and Rochdale like he did last season. You know, at what point do we have to sort of pull the trigger on him? Because otherwise, it could be someone else's game, couldn't it? So... Yeah, I, I kind of feel he, he's in. You know, he's came for. He's looked promising in his last few games. I mean, I know you know there's a few people. You know, the two penalties at Wolves, but he was kind of sold down the river um, with those two situations because you know Trippier had kind of played him into trouble when he shouldn't have done. So he, he's had a real steady start. You know, I think we saw him last year, and you kind of played a few Carabao Cup games, and you kind of thought, okay, yeah, he looks. He looks like he could be a reasonable player, but he was young and you knew there was a lot a lot to do there. And potentially this was going to be a player that was 
be ready for us in say maybe three three seasons time and I kind of don't see nothing much has changed he's had those good couple of games now where you think yep he's played really well but as you say he's not going to get ahead of out of weird old Vertonghen when he's back and after that you've got Sanchez to come in um so I don't think he's going to dislodge those three so I guess for him right now he just needs to kind of try and bed in and press as much as he can it looks like he probably will get Carabao Cup and FA Cup games. And all he can really do is just do what he's doing right now. If he plays really well um, and he carries on the sort of form he's shown in the last couple of games, then I'd be surprised if we don't start seeing him make the step up a little bit more regularly next season, especially as we know, you know, Vertonghen's still there, but that could all change again, you know. Who knows, could even change in January, but you'd probably feel that that might change at the end of the season. So I think for him, it's just keep doing what he's doing um, and he might find that next season he gets a chance to become a real kind of more regular starter and we'll see him a bit more around the kind of bench in the Premier League and that. Whereas this year, I think this is still probably, he's ahead of schedule, I'd say. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that front. Let's stay in uh, North London now and Arsenal. Matthew, they were held at home to Wolves. Um, They lose a bit of ground in the race of the top four. But I guess when teams above them are going on these stupendous unbeaten streaks, a draw almost feels like a defeat, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, and you mentioned they they lost ground on the race for the top four. I think in, in the long run... Arsenal are going to be absolute. Arsenal are going to be absolutely fine. I think they may even sneak, uh, sneak that four, that fourth spot. And it must be hard for you to. Oh, I, I feel bad. I feel bad saying that. I feel bad saying oh, brave, that. brave. But but yeah, I've been really impressed with what, what Unai Emery's done. Um, and also, I should probably stop talking now. Now I think about yeah, it. Fun, but fun. I've been really, I've been really impressed with the start he's done. I thought that he'd you know take that one year struggling, adapting, adapting to the Premier League, but. You know, this was you know this result aside because Wolves have you know shown that they can come up and you know cause trouble, cause trouble with the big uh, with the big sides. You know that, that's the that's an example of how a promoted team should should be playing. You know when you actually stick with the side when you stick with the side that got you up. But no, you know you mentioned Arsenal. They were never going to be challenging for the title uh, this season. So the fact that you know Liverpool, Man City, and Chelsea are both going on their uh, all three rather going on their unbeaten run shouldn't really be shouldn't really be a problem for them. We're now back to you know what Arsenal were of three or four years ago, where their whole season is going to be defined on fighting on fighting for that fourth spot. And it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Unai Emery gets gets a pass, so to speak, if he doesn't. Um, get that get that fourth uh, get that fourth spot ahead of the likes of Tottenham and Manchester United. Whether or not they're going to give him that free seat? Oh, it was your first year? You inherited a squad that finished uh, seventh, I think it was. Um, so you've made so you've made some progress. It, but but overall, like I said, I've really been impressed with what Unai Emery's been doing. On that controversial note, where Matthew upsets the two other guests, I need to sort of wrap things up and do the admin because I think we've hit an hour already. Um, so well done, chaps! It's been a great show. Um, I shouldn't forget it's been a big weekend for teams at the bottom further of the table. You know, people accuse me of focusing on the, the bigger clubs, so apologies. But there's only an hour, so I'll do my very best to sort of do it in the next couple of minutes. So Cardiff, and a dramatic winner through Sol Bamba um, as they beat a 10-man Brighton. Goal that they conceded in injury time and one, I guess, that if VAR was in place probably wouldn't have counted. And also, how Sol Bamba got away with um, not getting booked for taking his shirt off, I will never know. Um, but moving on to Newcastle, their season really has begun after a win at home to Bournemouth. One you probably didn't expect, but the sort of two uh, forms um, as of late. But it's more important for them to keep that momentum going. But at the same time, the international break has almost come at the wrong time for them because now they're sort of they're just in the sort of cycle of winning matches and now they've got to sort of stop for two weeks. So a bit frustrating for them. Huddersfield almost in the same boat, but they got a draw against West Ham. So those, I guess all three of them, their, their seasons really have started now. So it's a case of, you know, how can they sort of drive on and keep themselves afloat almost. And Leicester Burnley drew nil-nil. I know it's been a sort of tough period for Leicester. So I think it's just sort of good for them to be sort of just focusing on football, but um, you know, I guess for Burnley, I mean, they conceded 13 goals in the previous three games. So a clean sheet would have been a great result for them. Um, last bits of admin, I guess for me, if you can listen to it on iTunes, that's really helpful. Also, if you can leave a review, even better. 
If it's not five stars, don't, because it will bugger up my uh, my rating overall. So if you do listen to it and you do enjoy it, more importantly, please leave a review. That'd be really, really helpful. Um, as always, like I say, loser pool picks. Um, none this week because it's the uh, international break. So just to recap on last week's one, JS again got it right as Fulham lost to Liverpool. I got my one right as Palace lost at home to Tottenham. And also my brother, is a guest one, uh, got it wrong because he... Uh, he said that Wolves were going to draw with Arsenal uh, sorry Wolves were going to lose to Arsenal and he got that wrong because it was a draw so he's never coming back as a guest tipper on this podcast Um, but thankfully my two guests will be coming back during the season I hope Carl just need to thank you as always been an absolute pleasure cheers Dan good to to have a chat mate enjoyed this one thanks very much mate and also Matthew it's been an absolute pleasure I hope you enjoy talking real football for a change yeah, absolutely. Again, pleasure have pleasure being on. Pleasure talking to both of you. And if you want me on at any time this season, please, you're only a DM away. It's been great being on here. I certainly will be in touch, Matthew. We'll definitely do it again soon. So it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.